0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Welcome to No Particular Hurry. I'm really excited today to welcome a guest whose work I've enjoyed for years now. In many ways, Long form sports writing has become a dying art as our attention spans, and I'm guilty of this as well, have shortened, but taking the time to find some people who do it right makes the genre that much more enriching. In my opinion, we joke that she's more than just a writer. She's also part therapist in getting often guarded individuals and superstars to open up and show a softer side of themselves. And to me, learning those details makes then watching the games that much more fun. She's an award winning writer who's written with us at SB Nation, has been a contributor for ESPN and Bleacher Report before The Ringer hired her in 2020. And now she's a new author with a book called Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP on the way this summer. Please welcome Mirren Fader. How are you doing, Mirren? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for coming on. You're easily one of my favorite sports writers. And I think you practice what has felt to me over the years, like it's kind of a dying art, the long form piece. Um, I said this to your own whites. And when I had him on, I was like, I could have got a free copy of your book, but I didn't want to, because I want to reward the people who are doing what you're doing. Um, it's fun. It's fun to do that. And then it changes how I watch the games. Now I have like, I imagine that you feel this way too, and you cover someone, and then you see, like Devonte Adams, have the season that he just had. He was looked like the most unstoppable football player I've ever seen this year. And don't don't, weren't you feel like I watched his him get his hair braided? Like,
0: I know it's like it's so weird because you know for a fact that these people are human, right? And you know they come from families and they come from certain environments. But when you get to know them and you talk to them. It's sort of like a moment where everything clicks, where you're just like, okay, everything that has happened to you off the field or the court affects everything that you do on the field and on the court. And I always just find that so interesting how the two things are so related, you know? And now when I watch the game, I just think, where did that person come from? What was that person's life like? Because I just, I really do think it informs everything.
1: Yeah. And and so you have, you have basketball experience. So does that, do you find that that ever informs the way you look at the game or the way you ask questions? Do you think that's been very valuable for you?
0: I think it's been super valuable. Um, Our listeners can't see me, but I'm very short. I'm five feet tall. And so... (laughs) I was trying to be in the WNBA and work against the system of playing in the land of giants. And so I think having that experience, it just gives me such an empathy. I think there's a through line through my work of, you know, people that maybe aren't the superstars. They are that shorter person, or maybe they have gone through this or that. And I, I think playing though, it just, I get it, you know, I'll never know what it's like to be an NBA player, but I know what it's like to want to pursue a dream Um, And I think, of course, whenever we're talking about a story, you want to write about somebody that's on some sort of chase. You know, there's got to be some sort of goal. It can't just be like so-and-so is really good at basketball. And so I think having played gives me perspective and appreciation about just what it's like to dedicate every waking moment to this chase. And and what does that do to you mentally? So that's always what I'm trying to find out with my stories.
1: Did you do that as a player? Did you do yourself that fully?
0: I was so obsessed with basketball. (laughs) I was ten years old, and I made my parents um, take a trip to Connecticut uh, because I wanted to be Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. And I grew up in Los Angeles, and I I just had to go to stores, Connecticut, because I just had to be like them at some point. So you know, just because she was there. Yeah, just because she was. (laughs) No other like who else is going to stores, Connecticut for, for? anything other than women's basketball. So, you know, I I was just like from 10 years old to when I was 20, I was just like, all I want to do with my life is play basketball. All I want to be is a basketball player. And so even though that um, that dream for myself did not work out, it really gives me something to be on the court with these athletes and, and NBA players because it's just kind of like, okay, well, I made it in a different way. You know, I really enjoy that.
1: Now, I found a still shot of you having shot and it looked like you had perfect form like you had the you had the goose the goose (laughs) full full extension your off hand was in no bother Uh, (laughs) were you a great shooter or are you still a great shooter
0: you know how much life you just gave me with this question (laughs) um I think before the pandemic, I definitely loved shooting. Like I would shoot like 30 free throws a day or something. I know it seems minor, but with life and all these things, it's hard to find time for yourself. But then the pandemic hit and I haven't shot a ball in like freaking a year, maybe a couple months. So I'm going to be so rusty when I get back on the court, um, when the gyms open up and stuff, but. I love shooting. I just love it. I was always like, why am I so short? I want to be, you know, like Allen Iverson. I I wish I I just want to score. Like, why did I have to be born in a point guard's body?
1: So you're a scorer mentality.
0: Scorer mentality who loves to facilitate, but who was too short to be put in that position. So I had to make up for everything on defense.
1: Okay. So you were a pit bull. I
0: was, yeah, I was annoying.
1: Shoot. Oh, so okay. You're making me think of your Pat Beverly piece a little bit. I was
0: just going to say, I was like, maybe <laughs> there's a reason why I profiled Pat Beverly. <laughs>
1: um, and so you did one year at Lewis and Clark in in yeah. Chile, Oregon, right? Yes. And then what happened? You Did you get an injury? Did you get cut?
0: I really just did not like being there. I'm a Cali girl and I knew it was going to rain, but when you're there and it's raining every day. and oh, you've got seasonal gone.
1: affect disorder.
0: I'm telling you, it's a thing. It's a thing. I was like depressed. I just did not enjoy my time on the basketball team, which is why I went there. I loved the school part of it. You know, I fell in love with English. Um, I major at the time and writing and my life was just sort of shifting and it was kind of like, you know, I'm not going to be the basketball player that I wanted to be. Um, but I don't know what I'm going to be. Um, and so I kind of was like, you know, there, there just comes a time where you're like, I think this game is over. I think it's done for me. And I think basketball was just like over, you know? It's so, um, it's yeah. so
1: fascinating to me that you had this goal for, you know, over 15 years yeah. and it was a dream and then weather and you, okay. <laughs> you were done, but it it brought you to your true calling. And the reason that everyone loves yeah. reading stuff now, that's, that's kind of, I don't know what the word for that is, but it's like, some sort of cosmic momentum.
0: It's kind of just like staying open, you know, I mean, there was so much that happened that I left out of the story about injuries and why I didn't want to go to that school, but I tore every ligament in my foot and all the, you know, recruiting offers and think not offers, but like all the people that were recruiting me stopped. And um, that was the only place I was still interested. And so there was just so many things. My body was like breaking down. I didn't want to put it through anything. And it's crazy how life can work out because if I wasn't open to change and I wasn't open to pursuing something different, um, you know, I probably would just be really sad now. You know, I think I, I saw a lot of those players, um, growing up, which is like that would hang around the park when we would play pickup that were just like so bitter and destroyed over their hoop dreams, like being done. And, um, yeah, I just, I was falling in love with something new, which was words and English. And that actually helped me cope with the loss of basketball, which was like an identity loss or like going through some kind of divorce. Um, so yeah, I think staying open and just not being afraid to have your path change, you know, um, I'm much happier now as a sports writer than I think I ever was as a basketball player.
1: That's great to hear. And I th- it sounds like you found um, your true calling while gaining an experience that helps inform that calling and helps you be able to better relate to people you're talking to, whether it's a wide receiver or, or you know, a Jay Sean Tate or a LaMelo Ball.
0: Exactly. Um, I was always the only girl playing with guys growing up. And so it's not different for me to be in a locker room now in the NBA where it's like, I'm the only woman reporter. Like I'm just used to that. So I definitely, you're right. Like I do think the two inform each other.
1: Yeah. You, you know, you talked about that and I have to admit, I got pretty misty eyed reading your legacy of Mama Sita piece. And you know, some, the beginning of that is just talking about how special it is to be a girl on the basketball court. What can you explain to a person who never was that, what that special t- joy is.
0: Yeah, I really, I'm so glad you asked that question because I really do think it's unique. I think, you know, as girls, as women, we we grow up and we're taught to there's a set of rules that you have to adhere by you have to be quiet you have to be kind of dainty you want to be cool and aggressive but not too aggressive it's just this like stencil that you're supposed to like contort yourself into but when you learn to love basketball as a young girl it's this freedom that you never had before you feel very powerful you feel very excited um, you're loud you scream the play you don't have to be quiet it's just very yeah, can, com-
1: I re- can I read a quote yeah go ahead to, that point. to love basketball as a young girl is to love something in a way that only other young girl hoopers can understand it's different from family love different from friend love different from relationship love it's a deep down love that resists explanation and I basically just asked you to explain it to us <laughs> <laughs> <That was
0: hard. laughs> yeah No. go ahead yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to say, yeah, it's it's weird. It does resist explanation that I was like struggling to explain it because it's like, it is such a feeling. Um, and I think it's a feeling that I felt growing up and a lot of my friends, some of my best friends I made were growing up and playing and just feeling free and just loving this thing, um, you know, that maybe generations before couldn't be as free to love that thing. Um, and I know she had that because... You know, at first when I approached the story, I was like, did she actually love basketball, you know, or was she just kind of, you know, his daughter? And, you know, everyone told me it was just the opposite. She was steering the ship. You know, she was like, Kobe, dad, let's go work out. You know, she was the one telling him, let's do 200 more jump shots. So I just thought centering her love and joy for the sport would be so important to put up front and first, because like you said, it's a heavy article, like it's painful it's very painful. It's was
1: heartbreaking, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on a sweet note, Kobe was a hard guy, and uh, she, she she got to break his no interruptions workout rule. You wrote like she could go in and give him kisses between sets, and that brought out a side to him that maybe didn't exist before he was girl dad. Hashtag girl dad. Uh, and it reminded me of another line. I think you got this from a friend of Packers wide receiver, Devontae Adams, who you've twice profiled now. One after like his, what, third or fourth year breakup, breakout. And then after his broke the NFL breakout and someone said, I hope your first baby is a girl. Cause you're too hard, man. You need yeah. to be softened. <laughs> do, you, do you think there's something to that, that, that sometimes these maybe introverted cerebral, I guess, alpha male athletes can really soften when they have a daughter?
0: Yes. um, That's such an interesting comparison. I love that you connected the two. I really think so. And I think not only does it soften, but that's just a part of them that is one of the, I guess that is one of the biggest parts of them. It's just that the public doesn't see it. Um, When Devontae Adams gets home, his voice changes register. He's like, oh, hi baby like he's very like oh you look so cute you know like he's just very like goo gaga you know and it's just like it's not funny it's beautiful but it's you know for me of course the first thing I do is laugh because you know you're not just entering their world as like profiling them as people but you're you're almost like you're getting a sense of who they are in their full dimension in their homes you know Devante the daddy is you know it's Kobe the daddy. It's like, it's it's just, that's the one that their kids know. They don't know the one that is yelling on the field or the court. They don't know the one that is like so strict. They don't, they have no conception of that. That's just not who they are. And I think if you really want to get to know the person you're profiling, you got to talk to the people around them that know them best because there's no truer vision than ones that the children or the mothers see. That's why in all of my profiles, there's stuff about moms because oftentimes she's the only person in the entire world that can see her son for as he is and not what people want from him, what not people expect from him. It is like the truest mirror you could possibly find to who you're profiling.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I didn't really have a specific question planned, but reading your work, it does seem that the relationship with a player's uh, mother is so critical in helping them find this um, inner mantra that compels them yeah. and what they turn to when things get really harsh. Um, I'm guilty of having, I think what you talked about a little bit in in your LaMelo ball pieces, of assuming that too much was handed to this person. It doesn't fit
0: Mm
1: -hmm. what you typically think of, of a player reaching success. You know, that old corny quote of like, it's not how, it's not where you get to, it's how far you come. Like you want as a fan to hear that they went through some stuff. And here you see this guy like, oh, he's on ESPN before he's good. And when you Mm -hmm. first profile him, he's doing what, you must have thought were like N1 tricks, you know, he throwing himself lobs off the backward and missing them. Did you, first of all, I have a few questions, but first of all, did you get the sense watching him that he was going to become this like top, you know, top three, maybe it was post today. Like he should be the number, he should have been the number one pick. Do you have any sense of that when you first watched him play?
0: No. And I think anyone who says, yeah, I did is like, so lying. Um, you know, I we do this every year with the draft, the revisionist history, you know? And it's like, no, none of us saw this. The only thing I saw was confidence. I just, he was just as confident as a 15 year old as he is right now, but body game shot selection, all these things were not where they are now. You saw glimmers of it, but it definitely was just kind of like, I didn't even look at him as like NBA player. When I went to Lithuania, I looked at him as like boy interrupted, like because the path to the NBA is like so clear, right? Like you go to your high school, you start at your high school, you then go to college. Increasingly, some people go to the G league or overseas, whatever. But at the time that wasn't even what it is now. He so said time-
1: you, I-, I thought I was going to go to Chino to USC to the league.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's this path and it's this straightforward linear thing that his brother Lonzo did. And so I just kind of looked at him as like an aberration, not of his family's path, but of just boys in general. And I was just so curious how one responds to being thrown into a situation like this. I didn't really see him as a pro player. till I went to Australia the following season because he was older.
1: And then and by then he had a lot of eyes on him for not his dad, not his brother, but because he was showing signs of NBA cowboy cal- cal- player, I actually studied abroad in Wollongong. So I... I th- Did I, you? I it, was, it was extra cool for me to be like, that's where he is? It's so cool.
0: Oh my god, that's amazing. It's so beautiful.
1: It's crazy because some parts of it make remind you of like northern New Jersey, the rural <laughs> aspect, and then other parts are like the most beautiful beach you've ever seen. Um, yeah.
0: And then this... And it was- yeah, and if you ever travel to Lithuania, it's the complete opposite. You know, I think like we went from like freezing cold, miserable, awful. There's no place to get food to like beautiful like, beef pancakes. Or, yeah, yeah, and like you know any kind of fries and like burger like just totally different and you know it's a very like um as you know like a retirement community so it was just like a bunch of old people lounging and so like he could just no offense he could just walk around and just do whatever he wanted you know there just wasn't the same you know pressure but in lithuania it's like he he will walk outside and everybody oh my god like that's what mel like it was just it was different you know and i think he had got he had looked so much older to me the second time i had seen him he still had the same confidence again i think that was a key indicator but i never thought like oh yeah future nba player i was just like i'm so curious how this is all gonna turn out and I want to be there witnessing what it's like to grow through this. Cause it, he's like, um, he's like a piece in this really strange reality TV experiment. And I was fascinated what that would do to him.
1: I was too. And, and I love some of the anecdotes. Like he got, like, he got his ass absolutely kicked. I think you wrote like, you know, they, they put these 200 pound dudes, these pros on him, and he stunk and he didn't play very well. And then after the game, he comes up and teases me about how short I am. And I'm like, how do you do this? And he's like, because if I don't, the shit will get to your head. And I thought that was a pretty cool. That was a pretty cool glimpse into the way that he might try to put some of that noise out. Because it's got to be like, it would drive me insane, I think. I think the shit would get to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm very surprised that it didn't get to him. And I think, of course, he's not you know, he's not immune to it. Like there are things obviously that have gotten to him and we talked about those things, but to not let it consume you and to just, it's weird because I, I've always felt like the mellows whole life is a performance, like, um, on camera, off camera, on camera, off camera. And so when people talk about, will he perform in the NBA and stuff and what will it translate? It's kind of like, you know, the basketball court is like, ironically, the one place where he doesn't have to perform. That is where he is just his most truthful, authentic self. I think it was all the other stuff outside of basketball that was like playing a role performing, you know? So I think like basketball is just like freedom for him, you know? He didn't have to recite lines or do another take two or now let's stage our walk up to the restaurant. Like he could just be himself.
1: I have one more question and I'm going to tie it back full circle to moms. So please bear with my tangential... I love uh, it, but there was there was was there a moment where you thought because you had this cool quote from Lavar, you know you want to be what is it a big P in a pod that's why we're going oh, yeah. to Lithuania, yeah. And I kept it felt to me reading it like he was going where there there were less less pressure or at least less competition. He didn't even go to Sydney. He went to Wollongong. When people heard where I went to study abroad, I was like. That's like going to the U.S. and studying abroad in Hoboken. Like, why didn't you just go to New York City? Um, So it was – was there a part of you that wondered, well, what's going to happen when he's on TNT guarding LeBron James? Like, is is that going to be overwhelming having gone from Wollongong to Lithuania, you know, to now I'm in Charlotte and I'm on TNT?
0: Yeah. Like at the time I was like, why is he on this team? You know, he could have played with, with Bogut. He could have played like in a much more, you know, competitive arena and like practices were obviously a tad more competitive than Lithuania, but it was still like, it, it, I've seen higher levels in like division three U S you know, <laughs> like I just, you know, like I NBL, like whatever, I think it's really good what they're doing, but it was not a high level intensity practice. And I was just sitting there like, what is this? Why does he keep being in situations where he's not challenged? But I think, um, I remember Jermaine, the manager, who's like very close with him. He was just like, well, we have like business connections here. So I think it was just like, a again, it was like a move that was oriented towards money or business and
1: Occam's razor, right? It's always,
0: yeah. And and the team wanted to exploit him just as much. So, you know, he could be a big fish. He could be a big, like, pee in the pot or whatever he said in the first article. I can't remember. Um, but I actually don't think that Lamelo himself cares about that at all. Like... I think he would have really liked playing with Bogut. I think he would have, the thing about him is like, he is always beloved by his teammates, no matter what team he's on, like everyone likes him because he's so fun to be around and he's such a nice person. Um, so I don't think he would have, mind, I, again, I just think people above him were making decisions for him again. So it was kind of like, when does he get to have that agency? And so it's it's very cool to see now, post these two stories, he absolutely has agency over his life, it appears, and can be in these situations. So, um, because he's always played up, he's always played against people that were better than him, and so these weird set of circumstances. Including his, including his brother, all, including his brother. So it's just it's been really nice to see. I don't know about you, but I think it's so weird how the narrative has changed around him. Now everyone loves him but it was like very uncool to like him a couple years ago or even last year. It was like, he's awful. Like, you know, just the tone, like, Oh, he, his shot selection is terrible. Like it just went from like, he's not this to like, oh, so gifted, so gifted, you know? And it's gifted is such a unique word. Gifted is a word that you bestow on these kids when you see the, the John Morant vision early on. You could see that in those videos, but they didn't call him gifted. They called him spoiled. And now that they see the results, now he's gifted, you know? But he's always been gifted. So it's just, it's been interesting to see.
1: There's certainly an artistic creativity to his game, you um, And maybe he had to discover that by playing a a losing brand of basketball, making, making a lot of silly passes, but he was, I guess, learning angles that he's hitting now and he's hitting against the best competition. I can't wait to see him play with miles bridges who can literally fly. Um, uh, And then, and then some of those anecdotes about, you know, the brothers helping their mother rehab in a swimming pool, suffering from her stroke, and it, it really just shows you, I think one theme in your pieces that's, that I love so much is you do get to see these family sides to these people. And then mm-hmm. you get to see where some of their inner strength comes from and moments that we just never get to see when we're watching these, like Lonzo's brother just scored 50. Is he the next LeBron? And you, you want to roll your eyes and say, oh, his dad claims he's going to be an MVP. So you root against him none of that has anything to do with the person
0: exactly and it's like you know i think when when he when he probably tells you know if somebody's like tell me about your life i think the first thing he would probably say when when asked like what are some things you've gone through like i'm the first thing would be his mom not like i was sent to lithuania you know <laughs> imagine like you know imagine your mom going you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to be allowed back in Lithuania. Um, so nobody, no other prospect. You didn't even like Oregon. <laughs> I know. I know. I really just need to get it together. I'm I'm from Cali. I'm spoiled. <laughs> so um, we don't know seasons. We have weather privilege. Um, but yeah, like I think for him, the first thing he would say is his mom, you know, versus like nobody else knew that. Nobody else was like, I mean, your mom completely changes. She has to be. Helped to get a glass of water. Like, imagine what that does to a 16 year old kid, you know? So I just think that people assigned their narratives to him and didn't want to see any other narratives. And, like, you know, that's why I really love writing because writing is all about choices. You know, in the Lithuania piece, I could have not included LeVar, you know, walking Tina through the cafeteria and making sure she got her food. But that's part of who LeVar is. He, yes, he is the person barking inappropriately, you know, during the game and saying, Put my son in, but he is you also. You didn't know
1: I could look this good in a suit, did you?
0: Right. And, like but that... then there's that other side. Exactly. Like both are true. Like we're all complex. We all have good sides. We all have bad sides. We all have things. And as a writer, if you only put the bad sides, and I say bad, You know, very loosely here. I'm not saying he's a bad person or anything like that. I'm just saying if you put the unflattering sides and you don't put the 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 better sides, it's is that really an accurate picture? You know, I don't think so. So it's just important to to have that full view.
1: Um, Someone who I think exemplifies those some duality that you captured really well was um, Lonzo Ball's teammate Brandon Ingram. Who is like, you know, the way you describe him, he's his harshest critic, but you feel bad for him. Like, he plays really well, but he's there's he kills himself for missing certain shots. And at the end, he's like, This is gonna sound arrogant, but I just know I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna kill you. And so I'm like, Wow, this guy is such a mystery. <laughs> Which is it?
0: I like that. I know. But see, isn't that so real? Do we not all vacillate between um I am the worst writer alive and I got this like I feel like I feel like that there's no it's very hard to have in between
1: are you punishing on yourself as a writer
0: I am and that's why like I totally understand the perfectionism thing with athletes because it started in basketball for me and then I realized it wasn't basketball it was me and now I see it when it comes up in this and that and this and that um but i think what makes brandon so interesting is that the narrative on him was like oh he's so quiet he's you know he's like sleepy he looks sleepy he's not He does very- look sleepy. He does look sleepy. He does. But um
1: So to Tmac though.
0: Right. Okay. And like just let let the eye be the eye. And you know i think it's like along with that people again put their narratives like oh brandon must not be thoughtful brandon oh why is he still so skinny is he not working hard and, like i just think there's like all these things placed on them and so i was actually interested in him because of the quiet thing and the sleepy thing and i was like i wonder if there are louder more vulnerable sides and it's true there are it's just he's not like not everyone deserves to see that he's not going to give that to you unless you're his friend you know and so i think um yeah. I just think that that quote that you said about him, it's, it's so true. And that's why you can never approach a profile thinking you know the person and you can't leave a profile thinking you know them either. But you're trying to get as close as possible to like telling the reader what somebody's like. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: Well, I really appreciate the two things that you said that we, you know, we can't pretend we knew something. And yeah. that we can't come away with this feeling like now I know the person, because I think that's a humility that probably serves you really well. It must be so tempting to say, you know, I covered player X. I saw all along that they were going to break out or break out of it. Um, but you, but you don't. Like, you covered Roberto Aguayo, who has not gotten that next chance yet. Um, and it, that, that's a heartbreaking story to read that a guy who just never missed a kick inside 40 yards. And then like, he looks down at his foot and it's like, this is what I do. And it's failing me to talk about the yips, which Sixers fans who are listening to this Ooh. have thought about more than any fan base want wanted to. Um, what's your feeling on, on the yips and that, that sort of crisis a player at that high level might go through um and do you think Markel Fultz has the yips because your piece made it sound more like you came down closer to the thoracic outlet injury explanation
0: yeah I was literally just thinking that like wait like Markel um yeah no I think for him like I don't think he has the yips I don't think it's mental at all um but as far as like the yips is like a phenomena, a, a a thing that you know people understand man it is so jarring when you actually listen to an athlete talk about the yips because the yips are like this thing where you almost like you're afraid to say it out loud because if you say it out loud then that means it exists and if you're acknowledging that it exists then you're afraid it's going to get bigger and then if it gets bigger then you're screwed and if you're screwed you're do you see how it just cascades they don't
1: they don't talk about it in baseball locker rooms it's just (laughs) everyone's It's It's
0: like taboo, like never talk about the yips for fear of, of making the yips worse. Right. Yeah. But, but Aguayo, I have so much respect for him for talking about it. And I felt honored that he shared it with me, but it took hours. I think our first interview was like five hours. Um, And the thing about the yips is that when you approach an athlete, you don't just say like, tell me about like why you can't kick. I was like, you were a person and player before this happened, and you'll be one after. I want to hear about the before. So we're like starting at childhood, you know? And it's it's important to give context to, to show the person you're talking to, like, I really want to write about you. The yips are part of you, but they're not all of you. Because when you're the person with the yips, you think it's all of you, because that's the only thing people will ever associate with him for the rest of his life. Imagine that, like... And I have failed. Yeah. Right. And like, I failed in my life. Like, I'm sure you have too. And it's like, we have the luxury of wading through the world where we're not defined by, you know, our mental challenges or roadblocks. Thank God. And, um, but I just, I wish people would talk about it more because it's actually so, so much more common, you know, Uh, I think a lot of times when you're an athlete, you train yourself to think, if I just work hard enough, I can fix whatever is wrong. Imagine,
1: like, you suddenly just couldn't write. Like, some part of your hands didn't work. Some part of your brain couldn't get the words out. What would you do?
0: I know. I was actually thinking about that as I was doing the story. Like, what – like, I would literally – be in crisis and then then i start thinking about it and ruminating trying to fix it and then i make it worse by ruminating and trying to fix it and then it becomes this like impossible impediment that i've created in my head and then i'm screwed so like i often think about like that's why i just can't like again we don't talk about it because and then
1: you had this video podcast with 10 million viewers per week and they all tune in to watch you like Oh, I can't think of what to say to my subject.
0: (laughs) Genuinely terrifying. I know it it really is a thing. And that's why, like, you gotta um the number one thing I think to bring to any story is empathy. It's like I'm going to his house, I'm trying to put myself in his shoes. Imagine like every single person in the world thinks that you suck and you are a horrible person because you suck. Like that, that is an insane feeling, you know?
1: There's yeah, there's often um a tragic element to your pieces. Like, I needed some Kleenex to sit and read through <laughs> some of them. Um, but sometimes I was laughing, and other times I got the chills because something was so, so profound. Like, you just did a feature on Jay Sean Tate. Am I saying his name right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and man, like, I almost wanted, we talked about you not wanting to stay because of the weather, earthquakes, <laughs> pandemics, like, every crisis that you could have possibly thought of to thwart this guy from making it to where he is today. Um, and you know, there's some, you've got some really, really great mantras out of these guys. Like I'm gonna read a few of them. I'm not trying to prove people wrong anymore. I'm just trying to prove myself right. Remember who that is?
0: Um, okay. Qu- I'm gonna quiz
1: you on your own quotes.
0: Yeah, I feel like they all say something like this. This is Devante.
1: That's Devante, very good. <laughs> All right, well, here's the one I already read. I'm my harshest critic, but I know that I'm going to get it right and that I'm going to kill you. <laughs> that's, that's tiny dog, Brandon oh, Ingram.
0: Oh, tiny dog.
1: Uh, here's, uh, here's what I, I – I don't know if this is his personal mantra. I know you wrote that he's got the, I think, fear and God on his wrists, but you're still short. This shit will have your mind all the way messed up. And that was just a, a glimpse into how LaMelo deals with tuning things out. Yeah, um, and then here's, here's Jay Sean. I took the steps. I didn't take the elevator. It's not about when you get there. It's about getting there. Five surgeries an earthquake wildfires, 10 day contracts getting missed because his team played too well that he didn't get the opportunity. And we didn't even mention COVID. Um, it's funny. Daryl Morey is the Sixers GM. Daryl Morey is envisioned small ball in Houston and brought PJ Tucker there to do that, that probably had something to do with them giving him this chance. Didn't it?
0: I think so for sure. And I think, um, Jay Sean was telling me about how much he admires PJ and how he got kind of lucky. And that I just thought that was funny that he would think that any luck went his way, because as you just listed, <laughs> <he's> the <laughs> most unlucky, most hardworking dude ever, but In this frame, yes, he was just kind of like basketball was changing when I needed to, you know, small ball. And I just think, yeah, I love it because it's so smart. Like, the things that he does, like, he plays so much bigger than you think he is. There's a physicality to him. Um, I just think that, like, Sean, it's really premature to say something like this, but I just think whatever happens next, I don't know, but this season really showed me that, like, there's a lot of people that are built like Jay Sean that are, you know, will be that size or whatever. And I think this really opened up eyes and opportunity that if you give somebody a chance, um, they can, they can play like basketball is changing. Um, and you just need to give somebody a chance.
1: And you do have a soft spot for the undersized defensive minded. <sighs> I'm going to overcome it no matter what it is. You I guys are be-
0: you guys are catching on to me. Like I gotta, <laughs> I gotta like pick some like super, super tall human next. Like
1: <laughs> well, speaking of that, you do, oh, you, yes. have, you do have a book coming out, <laughs> but I was going to say, if we, if we have, if we have type Cassie, you, um, your subjects are so likable. And that also brings us to Giannis. Yes. Do you ever do a, just an Epic asshole?
0: <laughs> You know, I have been on the verge of doing like several asshole stories, and to be honest, they kind of like cancel themselves out before. Like sometimes, um, Shut up,
1: Marin, I don't have time for this.
0: <laughs> yeah, just like really, like I don't want profile you either. Like you know, like it's just just stuff like that where I'm just like what whatever or like you know, the person is like too complicated in the sense of like. There's literally nothing rede- like I'm actually I- I've paused on something I've been working on it for a while now since I joined the ringer but this person is so unlikable and uh, <laughs> and like I just can't like I can't re- I don't you know it's just weird because the people that I profile are, You know, inherently have something in them that we can see ourselves in, you know. And I look at, you know, Lee Jenkins, who was like my hero for like all my life, and I'm like, I have never seen him write about a villain, you know, and like, I don't know if that's a thing. And now we're just in such an age where I just feel like, first of all, you're never going to get access to the villain. And number two, you write about the villain and say he's a villain, you're never going to get access to whoever that guy represents. Yeah. So it's this whole game of like annoying stuff. But if I do pull off this villain story, I definitely have to talk with you again because it was the biggest challenge because nobody wanted to talk about this guy (laughs) because he was so bad and mean. (laughs) (laughs) Mean
1: mean and bad is a bad combo. You don't want to mean and bad.
0: I don't know. And I'm like, okay, if I meet up with him, is he going to be a total softy and then it's going to crack the whole story open? I don't know. Um, To be, to be continued.
1: To be continued. Yeah. And, and the other thing that we didn't mention that was, but that stuck out was what a big component. uh, Jay Sean's late mother is in motivating him. Like there was a million times where even someone taller and more talented would have, you know, quit, but I think it was his grandfather who saw a vision for him and said, no, it's going to work out. I see you in an NBA Jersey. He just literally never stopped believing and went to, where did he go overnight? Like
0: he went to Belgium,
1: Belgium. Yeah. Which yeah. he thought was Germany. It was just a hilarious. Thing.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I'm on
1: my way to Germany. No, 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 no,
0: <laughs> no, we're not going to Germany. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I, I think with his mom, like, you know, I, what I was like most shook about with that story was that him and his grandparents said that, you know, it was supposed to happen this way. Like, I thought that was so jarring that, you know, to accept your mom, this happening to her is just, I I feel like they are just such a testament of faith and you know, uh drawing strength and meaning because I, I don't know about you, but like I'm the type of person where like I don't believe there's an order. Things just happen. And that's how I think of it. Things just happen and some of those things are really horrible. And if you're really lucky, some wonderful things will happen to you in life and you try to work hard to achieve things. But at the end of the day, there's so many other barriers and things that prevent or um or allow things to happen. Right. So when I'm hearing them um you know, be so steadfast in their belief that it was supposed to happen this way, this horrific thing was supposed to happen, was just like, man, you know, I have so much respect for who they are as a family. I I just, I I just feel like everything good that happens to him, like he deserves, like he really has gone through so much.
1: Yeah, and and I'm more like you on that end of it. I think there is a lot of randomness out there. But I think Maybe that's not that's why I'm not a pro athlete, because there is almost this this divine intervention in, in the terms of vision that some of these players and their parents who motivate them have had and you've captured that. Um all right, here's a here's a deep question. Because family is such an important component to your pieces, and because you know you called yourself a writer, but in a lot of ways. But uh, you're not just a writer in that, like, you could be seen as like a sports psychologist or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like,
0: everyone's like, so is it like therapy with Mirren? Is that what I'm reading? And I'm just like, guys, no,
1: for sure. sure. (laughs) But I do think you're probably employing those skills of empathy. Um, Is there someone in your life? Or like, do you have a close relationship with a parent that informs your work and your own personal mantra?
0: Oh my gosh. I am so close with my family. Like I, my parents live like 10 minutes from me and um, like I, and my uncle is like a second dad. So I just, we are such a unit and I, they have seen every game I've ever played. They have read every article I've ever written. Like they have been there for me through everything. And just, I just feel like my family I mean, my family is just everything to me, like everything to me. And they influence my work in so many ways. And I think, you know, it would be really hard for most families to say like, uh, so what does your daughter want to do? Oh, well, like she wants to be a sports writer and she happens to be five feet tall. You know, I could imagine like a lot of families being like, what the fuck, you know, but I think my family just supports me so much. And I'm trying to think of like a mantra cuz there's so many like my mom and I in particular are very close. I think I think just always like standing strong. Like my mom is a breast cancer survivor and I've just learned a lot about strength from her and um you know I try to be really really strong in in everything that I do. Um and I've just I've seen that in her. Um and my dad is like so empathetic and wonderful. And like such a good example of masculinity for me that I didn't really see when I was playing pickup with guys and, and my uncle too, just like amazing examples of like what, you know, a father should be like. Um, and I think of my dad, when I write, he's like my reader. Um, my dad is like a stickler for the details. He's so smart and we always laugh when I try to do an image that's like doing too much, Um, (laughs) like being too flowery. So I can almost like read my work and like picture. If you follow
1: your Twitter, we know that you do love flowers.
0: I do love flowers. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I try and it's like, Oh my God, here she goes. He'll say this one's a reach. He's like, Cut his it. heart
1: was a piano
0: or <laughs> oh my god i can't like over the years is so embarrassing and we have such a good laugh about it it happens all the time still unfortunately he's like Mir, like what are you doing
1: <laughs> do you remember any that that were over the top that you had to cut the worst metaphor you ever wrote
0: oh, oh my god there's so many i i i promise there are so many i just can't I'm just blanking. I assure you there are stuff for the Giannis book. We were going over it and he was like, what, what is that? Like you, you do not need this. Like just, just cut it. Um, I mean, I revised that book like eight times and I swear that I just, there was so much floweriness and uh, I'm working on it.
1: Can you, can you tell the story of how that book came to be? Because I think you share it on, Bill Simmons podcast. Maybe. Yeah. It was incredible. You're profiling his little brother, Alex, and you're in there and go go ahead.
0: Yeah. And I'm just like, I turn and there's Giannis and he's like in the house. And he's just like, like in the kitchen, like doing like domestic things. And I'm just (laughs) like, what is going on? Cause I didn't know that he was going to be there. You know? In fact, I was like, pretty sure he wasn't because like who would think he would be? You know, like that just wasn't. I, I wasn't there for him. Um, as you know, I like to profile younger athletes because, like Lamelo, you know Jalen Green. Like I, at that time, it was a lot of those types of athletes, and I just I loved them talking about the beginnings of their journeys because, you know, they're not jaded yet. They they are very very green. And I, I really thought I was just going for Alex and then there's Giannis. And then I'm interviewing Alex and Giannis is like upstairs and Alex's phone rings and it's Giannis and he's calling in him in Greek to make sure he's okay during the interview. Like and this
1: is like 2019. So he's already an yeah. MVP.
0: Yeah, no, he was just about to win the MVP like a month later. So this was in like, just like, uh, early June or something. And then I think the award show was like late June in LA. And but, do you get
1: starstruck in those moments or are you used to it now?
0: I mean, for sure, I was like, holy shit, it's Giannis. You know, like I was like, <laughs> I definitely was like, it's not like, oh my God, you know, starstruck, but it was just like, so shocking. Like I said, tall people, five feet. I'm just like, oh my God, like it's Giannis. And I'm like looking up and it's-
1: He's just like slicing an orange.
0: I'm just like, oh my God, you do normal people things. You know, of course you know this, but then when he's calling his brother in the house, to make sure he's okay, I was like, "This is the cutest thing I've ever seen." Like they are closer than close. He
1: called him like from rooms away. Are you from good? Is Miran's not being too harsh, right?
0: So here's the thing: they were speaking in Greek, and I'm now I'll never know what they said about me. But um, you know, he I was like, "Who is that?"
1: Careful with those with those writers. I, you know? I know,
0: I know. I was like, "So who is that?" And he's like, "Oh, that's that's my brother." I'm like, "Isn't he here?" yeah, he just wanted to see how the interview's going. And I'm just like, wow, you know, if that doesn't say at all as far as like their relationship. And so very I close. think- Very close. And I think like, you know, as a reporter, when you're on the ground, like your job is to like see, you're supposed to observe everything. You don't quite know what to do with it, but you write it all down, make sense of it later. Like that's what Wright Thompson says. And so that's been my like shining light forever. So most of what I wrote down was about how the two of them interacted because it was just so obvious that the the story was now becoming about both of them, not because I wanted it to be, just because that's what it is, um, and that's what I saw. And so, you know, the story came out, and it was like a hybrid profile. Yes, it was about Alex, but it was really about Giannis, and it, it showed a different side of Giannis, a more vulnerable Giannis, a more emotional Giannis. Um, it was like the first story to interview the mom and, like, you know, talk about the dad's death, and so. I got a really good response for it. And I had been wanting to write a book for a really long time, just like unsuccessfully pitching, um, you know, different uh, ideas to different agents. And it's a very complex process to where you have to secure the right literary agent. Then they have to believe in your idea. Then they have to think your idea will sell. And then a publishing house has to be interested. And then you have to sign and all this stuff. But once this You know, story came out, I was like, I think this is the idea. Instead of me trying to come up with an idea from scratch, maybe we could turn this into a book just because it was very human. I mean, I think we all admire Giannis's journey. I think there's so many lessons and and things to look up to. And so I just thought it has all the elements of a really human sports book. And so, yeah, I just, I pitched, I went to, that was the year that I went to Australia. And when I came back, I did the um, proposal, which is like a fifty-page document, and then, and then I know it was like, oh my god, you're telling me I have to write a book after this. And but you, uh, didn't,
1: but you didn't have the interviews yet. What were you basing the proposal on?
0: I was basing it off of the interviews I did for the story. So people I,
1: around. Yeah.
0: Well, and I talked to him and okay. the whole and the whole family that day. I spent like a day with them, and um, I knew enough to like pitch a proposal.
1: You wound um, up doing 220 interviews. Am I right?
0: Well, it ended it's funny because it ended up being 221 because somebody really nice called me after the Bill Simmons podcast came out and was like, Am I 221? And I had like a couple days <laughs> to go before I had to submit it, like final, final edits. Um, but yeah, ended up talking to so many people. So that's that's what I did during the pandemic.
1: <laughs> okay, that's better than what I did spending my time. <laughs> I went through the bed break, the bread baking phase. I I grew out of that one. Um, So did you, uh, let's talk about any misconceptions about Giannis. Would you say, first of all, let's start with his nickname. How does he feel about his nickname? Do you think that that detracts in some way from the cerebral nature of his game? Like you're just a talent. You're just someone who's so agile for his size but really like he thinks the game multiple steps ahead and who he's going to pass to and stuff like that. How do you think he feels about that nickname?
0: He likes it. I, he doesn't mind it at all. There's a whole section in the book about the nickname. And I, when you read it, you have to tell me what you think about this one quote because it's going to make you laugh really hard. It's it's a, it's a person saying what they think the nickname should be. Um, And I think it will make you like, laugh like in tears something um, that
1: like rhymes with his last name <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: when you hear it you're gonna like crack yes. up so much i wish i could share it i can't but um so there's a whole thing on the nickname because ironically the Bucks were unsure if he found it offensive at first um and so there was like discussion amongst like the marketing department whether this was offensive or not and that's pretty interesting you know circa 2013 like i don't think we were having those conver- I mean some people were having those conversations, but not a lot of people in 2013 would be having that conversation. Um, he, he likes it. He doesn't really know where it came from. And to be honest, nobody in his family knows where it came from, which I find hilarious. Um, but he, he would introduce himself as the Greek freak. Like he <laughs> would say, hi, hi. I'm the Greek freak. I am Giannis. And it, I just thought it was so funny. He would just walk up to people and say, I am the Greek freak. <laughs>
1: um. There was the possibility that Joel Embiid would was drafted to the Bucks. I I heard you talking about how, like, he had to practice his snarl face (laughs) to to grow to grow what was not an unnatural external demeanor of aggression to be the leader and to show this is not Jabari Parker's team. What would have happened if Joel Embiid, who's in many ways a larger than life, you know, also an international person who just rallies the fans what would it be like they were together would they would they work would they clash would they both have to practice snarl faces
0: (laughs) I don't know I think you know it, it just reminded me of like who knows what Giannis I don't think he'd still be in Milwaukee like I don't think I don't think any of this happens had MB been available for him. They had scheduled a pre-workout with him and he couldn't do it because of the injury or whatever.
1: Yeah, he just broke his foot.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't think any of this would happen. Like, I just don't, I don't see it. Um, but again, I have no idea. It's just, isn't that so funny? It's like one little thing.
1: One In- little thing. And you would have been the starting point guard at Lewis and Clark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know what i am so glad that i don't play basketball anymore because my ankles finally got to heal you know nice i get to you know it's like don't limp i don't (laughs) limp like i'm good so i'm okay with the way things happen
1: (laughs) um speaking of international you did prince did you did you actually go to punjab in india for that story
0: I wish Um, I did everything over Zoom because of the pandemic. Yeah. And and I know it's going crazy over there in India right now.
1: Yes, um, it's terrible.
0: It's terrible. But that was really hard because not only was it over zoom, but it was, uh, me to the translator who would then translate it to Prince and then Prince back to the translator and me. And so, um, wonderful translator, super grateful for him, but, uh, yeah, it's made me forget, you know, like we have to all like do our jobs over this time period. I know you probably relate to this, but it's just like, man, like you forget that, like, this is so hard. You're just like in your apartment, you know, you're not in somebody's kitchen anymore. So how are you going to describe the kitchen when you're in your kitchen? You know,
1: it's very difficult. And I think it's like there's also a theme to some of your stories on these athletes. They're often what feels like displaced. They're somewhere foreign, especially when they're in an international player, but sometimes just in the United States. And they often look for those little things that remind them like a, a Mick Flurry for LaMelo that he would always have to go get because it feels like home or even a tattoo that reminds you. I think Brandon Ingram got a tattoo and tattoos remind him of home. So at a time like this, where you're just in your apartment, wherever that is or in your mansion in some of these cases, but you're still not necessarily what feels like home. And now you're in it for months at a time before you feel comfortable coming out. It's gotta be insane.
0: It's insane. I would say it's given us for the first time as reporters, not equal footing, but just something to immediately latch onto as like intimacy. Like we're both having a miserable time and it's kind of like, that's always the first thing we talk about. And there's an immediate shared experience, which I have found that allows these interviews to get really deep, really quickly. So, you know, that's been a relief. I think once you start out with that, it's like, you know, then you just start talking on the phone and I mean, I hope that publications aren't like, oh, see, you don't need to go travel because then that would really suck. But yeah, I think like home and, um, home is for sure uh, a theme in the Giannis book. The last chapter is titled home. So I think that's really a suit that you um, connected those dots. But I think- um, Yay. Yay. (laughs) Um, But I think I like home. I I like the concept of home in many dimensions, right? Like who you are at home is different than who people see you outside of your home. Um, Leaving home to go to a different place to get what you want. It's like the classic odyssey, like leaving journey, voyage, um, chase. Um, Home in terms of like belonging, like globally, I think like for sure. I want to travel as much as I can as a person, as a writer before I have a family of my own. And so it's like, you know, I feel free to write these international stories and it just really showed me how much more there is out there and how many people are playing sports. It's, it's crazy how many you go to these places and it's like, you never thought there would be a random court right here. it's like, wow, there's 20 kids playing, you know? And it's just like, I don't know. It's just caused me, like when I pitch something, like I'm thinking globally, like I'm not just, you know, I want to write ambitious stories and that requires thinking outside of of my home.
1: And seeing that through Prince's eyes, like there was one or two courts here and then, you know, he goes to ignite and like people have them in their backyards or, or maybe that was the Alex Antetokounmpo story. I can't, it was, it was one or the other, but.
0: Yeah. Same th- same thing though. It's like, it's jarring because they're just like, I'm so like, how is this possible? It's so much abundance, so much excess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Prince you know, didn't have a smartphone. Imagine like trying to make it to the NBA when you don't have access to a smartphone your whole life. <laughs> no exception. He's like, who's LeBron James? You know, I
1: cracked up at, he. you know, he wasn't sure about the NBA. Wasn't sure about even who LeBron was. And then he's struggling to make his layup in a layup line. And I'm like, right. what a trip,
0: you know? You're like, I hope, I hope there's not a dead spot here. Like big priorities, you know,
1: but then there's millions and millions of eyes on him to see, you know, where he goes from that. All right. Um, I think we're coming up on time. If there's anything you'd like to plug, plug,
0: plug. Well, uh, number one, thank you so much for having me. That was so wonderful. Um, number two, I guess I would love if people could pre-order my book, Um, these things really do matter um, in terms of like bestseller. And I really would like a dream come true to make that happen. So if somebody could pre-order my book, that'd be great. Wherever you buy books.
1: Anyone listening, all 10 of you, please go (laughs) pre-order.
0: No, we got 11. We got my mom. (laughs) Yes,
1: we'll get get 11. Please pre-order the book. Um, Can you say the full title one more time?
0: Yes, Giannis, uh, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP.
1: That's wonderful. Okay, I'm very, very excited to read it and very, very appreciated, appreciative to have you on. Uh, you're someone I wanted to interview for a while as soon as I started hosting, I think in August. So thanks so much for coming on.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: All right, and keep doing what you're doing because it's beautiful to read your work.
0: Thank you for saying that. I'm going to keep surviving. I'm going to keep drinking coffee and uh, getting through these painful. I'm (laughs) I'm
1: going to over-caffeinate and read your piece in Justin Fields, see where he ends up.
0: Oh my God. That was forever ago. Yeah. No, the detail. I think he, he had a chocolate chip waffle after every game or something. I got to go look up that story, but I I love that detail.
1: He was willing to gamble that he could take a job from a dude who's on the bills backup now. And meanwhile, he was like a top 15 pick.
0: Holy crap. I'm going to go read that after this. Thank you for reminding me. I forgot about that.
1: Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yep. Take care.
0: Bye.